America to Hewitt special treat today. It's been a week of special treats. Thanks yesterday to our friends at Select Quote and Trinity Law School and Zip Recruiter. I was able to broadcast from the front lawn of the White House and the West Wing. Today, thanks to our friends at Hillsdale, collegehillsdale.edu, I'm able to broadcast from the Kirby Center, from the Boyle Radio Studio at Hillsdale's Outpost of Lightness in the City of uh, Shadows, Washington, D.C. And Dr. Larry Arn has actually gotten out of bed early. Normally he calls me in his PJs from his house in Hillsdale, but he's got a suit and tie on today. It's actually kind of extraordinary that we see this. We don't often see this unless I'm on the campus and it's lunchtime. Good to have you with us, Dr. Arn. Yeah, I usually keep college student hours. (laughs) It is a good thing to do. (laughs) By the way, before we get into deep stuff, let's move this microphone down. I just destroyed it. Uh, Did you see Dunkirk? Not yet. How can you not have seen it yet? I've been busy. Also, my wife, I almost used a bad phrase, my wife and I are not in the same town this week, and I have to see it with her because her father was there. I cannot wait to hear more about where he was on the beach and how long, but I may ask uh, Mrs. Arn about that. Do you know which beach he, or, or, or where he was and which day he got off? Yeah, it's, it's one long string of a beach, and he was more or less in the middle with the Coldstream guards, and uh, he got there on, what, the 28th of May, and he left on the 4th of June, the last day anybody left. That means every Stuka that came over, he heard. That's right. And every... Uh, uh, Spitfire that came to the defense he saw. It's a really quite an ennobling movie. However, it has one huge flaw. You know who's not in the movie? Yeah, I know. Churchill. Now, I, they did show the preview for the Churchill movie that you approve of, mm-hmm. and it looks fabulous. It's going to be dynamite. It's going to be awesome. And there's uh, Gary Oldman and Doug Urbanski. I've known Doug Urbanski for a long time. He's a producer. Gary Oldman is the, he actually is the highest grossing actor in history. He's, I didn't know that. Well, Harry Potter, Batman, you know. He, oh, my gosh. He's been in everything. But he's a really great actor. You know, he's, he, he played George Smiley, a, a, a key part. Anyway, he, he, uh, he, he loves Churchill. He's English. Um, and so he, uh, the thing about it is they, they, what, the, what they do when they do things like that is if they get a big actor, they want him to look a lot like himself, too. Gary Oldman looks like Churchill, and he talks like him, and he moves like him, and he, uh, it, it just, it, it just lovely. I got to remind people, I have a new affiliate today, WEJS 104.1 FM, 1600 AM in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Dr. Arn is the president of Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale are available at hillsdale.edu. All of our conversations dating back four years are available at hughforhillsdale.com. And he was part of the official Churchill biography team led by Sir Martin Gilbert for many years. I mean, this is like uh, 60 years ago because the man's 80 years old. Now, <laughs> what years did you work on the Churchill Project? Well, you're still working on the Churchill Project. 1977 to 2017. 2000. So you have been at this a bit. That's right. All right. Yeah, so now, yeah. go, why do you suppose people are surprised that Dunkirk is doing so well? And they are. They, they said, Wow. Everybody went and saw Dunkirk last week. This isn't supposed to be the kind of movie that works in the summer. It doesn't have Spider-Man in it. Why do you think they're drawn to it? Well, it, uh, of course, it's this fabulous story. Uh, the, crit- the criticism, I haven't seen the movie, but the criticism I hear of the movie is it's not identified enough 
who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. That's what leaving Churchill out is about. You know, apparently you don't see the swastika on the German plane. You don't see right? the Germans, no. It, uh, and so what's it about, right? Well, this terrible force is taking over Europe. And that what that means is rounding people up and incinerating them. And uh, they're coming and they're taking France right now. And the, and the thing is, the British Army is over there in alliance with the French and the Belgians. And is it going to get home? And it changes the world if it gets home. There are 400,000 of them. It's not so many. Britain never has a big army. And they got home without their weapons. But the fact that they got home and they had rifles meant that it had to be a serious invasion. And that made them vulnerable to the Navy and the Air Force. Yeah, I think it's because it's a story of courage. Genuine, real deal. Not superhero courage, though that models the real thing, and that's why it's attractive. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's an intimation of the real deal. But it is courageous to stand on that beach. Some don't make it. Uh, they're not courageous. They act cowardly. Mm-hmm. And it's a real test of metal, and people are inspired when they see it in other people. That's why I think it works. It's real. It actually happened. I'll tell you... Uh... So a quick little Churchill story you'll like. Churchill, you know, gave a wonderful speech after Dunkirk, and then he reminded everybody that wars are not won by evacuations. And then uh, later, so what is this? Is in 1942, uh, late in the year, am I getting it wrong? 43, Battle of El Alamein, which is really the first. 42. 42, which is the first battle, big battle that the British won. And Churchill says. Uh, We've known for a long time now that the British soldier was prepared to die for his country. Now we learn something more important. He can kill for that cause, too. Oh, I didn't know that line. <laughs> there were, you know, I got confused about LMA. There, there were two LMAs. The first one was a kind of a standoff, and then the second one was a, a big win. That's and right. And it was the big win that he was referring That's right. to. That's right. And I believe, didn't he also refer, this is not... The beginning of the end that is perhaps the end of the beginning. That's right. I know a little church. I've been around you enough times. There we go. Yeah, so yeah. let's bring it up to speed to the day. Uh, I got to play for you. Uh, Donald Trump last night in Youngstown, Ohio, said something that I thought you would find uh, very interesting, Dr. Arn, given your long-term assessment of him. And I want to play cut number nine for Dr. Arn. Donald Trump in the Cavelli Center. I know the Cavellis who built this. In Youngstown, Ohio, last night to an overflowing crowd. Cut number nine. Support the Constitution of the United States and believe that judges should interpret the Constitution as written and not make up new meaning for what they read. And finally, we believe that family and faith, not government and bureaucracy, are the foundation of our society. You've heard me say it before on the campaign trail, and I'll say it again tonight. In America, we don't worship government. We worship God. So, Larry Arnn, your thoughts on that little clip? Well, he's been, uh, first of all, it's music to my ears. Uh, second, he's been talking like that since 1990. It's, people think that's surprising. People think it's surprising. I, you know, we didn't know when he got elected, but he has he has been on about things like this for, for as long as we have records, basically. So, how much of the objection to Trump is aesthetic? Well, 
First of all, I, I think little of it. I think that these are real things that are happening. I think that we're in a vast contest between two ways of organizing human life, two goals for human life. And you can put the point in, use the term he used, the terms he used, constitutional rule proceeds by goals, and very few rules and fewer still at the top. And bureaucratic rule proceeds by rules. It, it, the rules are made by experts. They number in the millions, both the rules and the experts. And that's a different way to live. That means that just take the schools, a favorite thing of mine, uh, the public schools in America have more than one other employee for every teacher. A charter school will have one for every four or five teachers. Now, if you just think, since they're more highly paid than the average teacher, that means that the money we spend, when you see this thing where the where the state bureau, education administrator goes for the legislature and says, you won't spend any money on education, it's only $17,000 a classroom, a lot of money. But what he doesn't say is about 9000 bucks is going to people like me and the, the, the levels in schools, right? There are, there's the federal government. And there's the state education department, and there are the districts, and only then do you get to the schools. Now, in the districts and the state bureau, state education departments and the federal edu education department, there are three things that are not there. One of them is students, and one of them is teachers, and one of them is parents. Yeah. And so the money is separated from them. And, and just think, the theory behind it is that a person, a parent, is not competent to organize the education of his child. Uh, did you read, Ross, out that this week that uh, the primacy of parental rights over the life of a child is an essential element of a free society? Talking about Charlie Gard, the fact that the parents had the money and the ability to bring the desperately ill infant to the United States and was blocked from doing so, though the care was available here by the British government, is an abomination. That's it. That, that, it wasn't the government's money. It was their money. There's an argument if it's the government money that it's better spent elsewhere. But it was their money, and they said no. Uh, Ross is very, very right about that. I'll be back with Dr. Larry Arn from Hillsdale College's Boyle Radio Studio. Don't go anywhere. It's a special edition of the Hugh Hewitt Show, Made in America. If you want to hear all 15 hours of yesterday's White House broadcast, by the way, go over to HughHewitt.com and relive it for $7.95. Great day with Scaramucci and everybody else. Stay tuned to the Hugh Hewitt Show. Hey there, I'm Scott Bertram, and I'm the director of the Hillsdale College Podcast Network. This show and all the other shows on the network are listener-supported. That means we hope for... We count on, frankly, we rely on the support of listeners like you to make our educational outreach possible. One of the best and most convenient ways to do so is joining the Liberty and Learning Society. That's our exclusive monthly giving group. And in this month of March, we are looking for 300 new members of the Liberty and Learning Society. When you join, you'll help defend liberty through education and you'll make shows like this one possible far into the future. All you have to do is visit hillsdale.edu slash monthly and complete the secure online donation form. If you need to pause or stop your gift at some point, no problem. Just call us. One of our friendly students or staff will help you. But today, will you be one of the 300 new members of the Liberty and Learning Society in March? 
Go to hillsdale.edu slash monthly to join the Liberty and Learning Society today. Help us bring these shows to you and other Americans at hillsdale.edu slash monthly. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. All of the Salem Radio hosts will be at the Kirby Center today, thanks to the courtesy of Hillsdale College in inviting us and the support of ZipRecruiter.com. ZipRecruiter.com slash postjobs. Try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash postjobs. 80% of jobs get at least one qualified candidate in just one day. Trinity Law School has a Master of Legal Studies program at tls.edu slash radio. For more details, you go to tls.edu slash radio. If you enjoy this conversation about the Constitution, you can always go to the Hillsdale Free Online Courses, and you can also get a Master's in Legal Studies from Trinity Law School. And our friends at SelectQuote, you got to take care of your family. Shopping for life insurance has never been easier. SelectQuote will get you up to nine quotes fast, but you got to go to selectquote.com today. We shop you safe. Thanks to all of them for making this possible today. Uh, Dr. Larry Arn, I want to take a moment to celebrate the triumph of regular order. Last week when we were talking, we didn't know if Mitch McConnell could get 50 senators to align with Vice President Pence and move to open debate. <laughs> and they did. And Mike Lee was with him. So, right. uh, and, and Rand Paul was with him. And they're gonna, and they've turned down two versions already, but they're continuing to debate. And this is a good thing. I think they're gonna, you know. Fingers crossed. I think they're going to pass something, and it's got to, whatever they pass has got to meet one criteria. It has to be better than Obamacare. Yeah. Surely there's something that can be found that's better than that. (laughs) Well, they're talking about the so-called skinny bill and a conference committee. You mentioned last week it has been the practice of the United States for centuries that the House passes a bill, the Senate takes it up, passes a different bill, and then they meet in a conference. And they come up with what they think will pass both houses, or they take the Senate bill and they just pass it. That is, to me, you can repeal the individual mandate, repeal the employer mandate, maybe, maybe get rid of the Cadillac tax, maybe get some Medicaid reform in there. Not much. Not not, not a root and branch, but a good trim. Yeah. And then start doing some good things, right? Uh, those are good things, and do some more. But see, it's a, your friend and mine and my former employee, Tom McClintock, told me all about this conference committee thing, right? And here's what they do. They take the two bills, and they take everything common to them, and then they only add what's necessary to make a functioning bill. And they always pass something. And so this idea that the Senate and the House are supposed to come into an agreement, they are, but that's the process. Not in advance, not in the floor, not when they're passing their bill. The Senate should pass the strongest bill it can, and then something will come out of that that will get through. And to the conference are sent conferees. And John McCain yesterday gave an emotional speech, and it was well-received about regular order, intimating that this wasn't regular order. In fact, it is regular order. Uh, there have been hearings for 10 years. There have been studies for longer on health care. If the conferees, if the Democrats want to send their big guns on health care, great. The Republicans can do the same. They can even hold hearings if they want. Conference committee can hold hearings. They That's can bring right. in experts. Yeah. They can do the regular order. They can do what John McCain was talking about if the Senate passes any bill at all. And then they can see at the end, just reserve judgment until the final product comes out. Then vote your conscience. Isn't yeah. that 
what we would want from everyone, Democrat and Republican, reserve judgment, because we all know it's fallen apart. They, they, you know, I, you know, the Republic, first of all, how does the Congress function? It legislates, right? And if, and, and there's been so much terrible legislation. I mean, last year alone, 87,000 pages were added to the Federal Register. And that means that for the Republican majority, nothing is not an option. And they were, they were, they were elected to pass some bills and they're going to have to pass them and they're going to have to take the members that they've got. They're going to have to find the common denominator, and it's going to have to be better in every case than what it replaces. But those are not high standards. They must be able to do that. Now, I am, I'm an optimist about tax reform, given the vote yesterday, uh, 51-50. I'm an optimist that they are actually beginning to feel the urgency of the moment, which I was, I'm dismayed by the lack, and we'll talk about this afterwards. I asked Anthony Scaramucci yesterday, where are the judges? Where are the judges? That's not a congressional problem if they're not nominated. It's a congressional problem if they're nominated and not moving, but they're not nominated. Do you expect some movement out of this, out of Team Trump? This will bring us to sessions after the break, but do you expect them to get their act together on judges? Well, the latest word I hear is that they've got a bunch of them going forward, that across the board on appointments, they're much more active. All right, I hope you're right. Dr. Larry and and I will be right back. Hillsdale.edu, America. Go sign up for Imprimus during the break. You'll thank me. Stay tuned. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt broadcasting today from the Boyle Radio Studio located at the Kirby Center of Hillsdale College. We were at the White House all day yesterday, 15 hours of programming available at HughHewitt.com. It's an amazing podcast. Uh, Hewitt, Gallagher, Prager, Medved, and uh, uh, Larry Elder, all from the front lawn of the White House. Go to HughHewitt.com if you want to get the podcast or that for $7.95. Talk to Larry Arn. I want to play for you the, you know, the back and forth between the Attorney General and the President of the United States. Uh, it was summarized yesterday when the President appeared on the uh, in the Rose Garden with the Lebanese Prime Minister and was asked about Jeff Sessions. Here is what he said. Cut number six. Your kind of catchphrase or motto before the White House was, you're fired. So I'm wondering if you would talk to us a little bit about whether you've lost confidence in Jeff Sessions, whether you want him to resign on his own, um, whether you're prepared to fire him if he doesn't, and, and why you're sort of letting him twist in the wind rather than just making the call for him. Thank you. Well, I don't think I am doing that, but I am disappointed in the attorney general. Uh, he should not have recused himself almost immediately after he took office. And if he was going to recuse himself, he should have told me prior to taking office, and I would have quite simply picked somebody else. Uh, So I think that's a bad thing, not for the president, but for the presidency. I think it's unfair to the presidency, and uh, that's the way I feel. Thank you. Larry, on your reaction to this. Uh, Well, I I have two. One is Jeff Sessions is a super guy and a friend of mine, and... uh, How fine and how fine was his support of Trump? Uh, the second one is, uh, I, th- I think Trump is actually right about that. Uh, tr- uh, one should read a book by Donald Rumsfeld called Rumsfeld's Rules. And what's great about that book, it, it, it basically, the book is, let me back up and say, Donald Rumsfeld is one of the most experienced and finest public servants in modern American history. Almost became president. Uh, he, he, figured out how to work for presidents 
and he wrote it down. And one of the key things is you tell them everything, especially everything negative about you, because they're not to be carrying your burdens. You are to carry theirs. And you have to place yourself in a position where you can carry theirs, and if you can't, or that yours come to them, then you quit. I'm not saying he should quit, but I am saying that I think he testified in Congress that he knew he was going to have to recuse himself before he was appointed, and he should have said that to Donald Trump. Now, what he did do was testify before Congress that and to the Senate that he would put the subject matter of Russia before the ethics officer at the Department of Justice and abide by their ruling which is what he did because he's an honorable man. And we, we just stipulated that. So as soon as he got to justice, he asked them, and rather um, uh, ordinarily, I mean, it was to be expected, the, the ethics officer said you can't do Russia because there's controversy about Russia. It's a bad ruling, but that's what ethics officers always do. Yeah. If you commit yourself to follow what the ethics officer says, you're always going to be recused because they always tell you to avoid even the appearance of impropriety. And once a Democratic senator has said it is improper for you to deal with Russia, if you deal with Russia, then you have the appearance of impropriety, if not actual impropriety. It's a it's a, a hedging problem that is a problem. So what is what is your advice to both parties at this point? Because it is not good for the president, the attorney general, the Department of Justice, the administration of justice or the country for this to continue this way. It's uh, so you, what's wrong with this thing is it's a fishing expedition and it generates headlines and it'll go on doing that for months and maybe years. And what have they found? Right. And meanwhile, the business of the nation is disrupted. So if you just step back and put this in context, how do you control the president of the United States? The Constitution of the United States gives the president of the United States the executive power, which includes the prosecutorial power. How do you control that? And the answer is there's a regular, routine, often operating, ever operating way, and that is elections and polls. The Congress not doing what he wants if he's weakened, right? That's the first way. The second way is he can be impeached. And that impeachment is a very unusual process and, and really brilliant and, and explains how the Constitution works. We just understand it. It is both a political and a legal process. That means that people have real political authority. The House of Representatives must bring charges. They're legal charges. And then there's a trial in front of other people who have real political authority, the same kind of delegation from the people that the president enjoys in the Senate. So, so that's how you would deal with it. And all of this can only be a precursor to that and maybe even force that and that puts in a lot of power in the hands of a private person, Robert Mueller. And, and there is a need, there is a regulation that provides for the special counsel. There is a regulation that provides for his independence from the attorney general, in this instance, the deputy attorney general. But it does not provide for the expansion of his writ beyond what it is. And that's why the president wants a strong attorney general is to ride those fence posts. That's what I've been trying to explain to people, is that a, a special counsel will expand their authority. And we saw Patrick Fitzgerald end up indicting Scooter Libby on a matter unrelated to the province of his original investigation because Scooter Libby was believed by the special counsel and convicted of misleading him on a non-material matter, but you still can't lie to a prosecutor. 
and that that's why Dick Cheney wanted President Bush to pardon Scooter Libby, was that this had gone far beyond what the writ was. And so what the president wants is an attorney general who will ride those fences, and he doesn't have one right now. Is that, in your view, sufficient reason for the president to fire Jeff Sessions to get that attorney general? Well, I I hope he finds another way to remedy this because I am very fond and very admiring of Jeff Sessions, and I don't want to see him hurt here. But the president of the United States can fire the attorney general because he doesn't like his bow tie. Yes. You know, and that there's let me interject here that there's all this talk of the independence of these enforcement agencies, the FBI, the Justice Department. What are they saying when they're saying that? The executive power is delegated by the people to a president. And if those agencies are independent, uh, they're independent of the people. Yeah. And that means that, that you're going to be living in a police state if you're not careful. So he can fire him. But I think that uh, they should have their thinking caps on very hard about limiting the scope of this investigation to what is what it was created to do. Well, if, if the, the the one solution here that I can foresee is if the deputy attorney general who has supervisorial authority over the special counsel makes it clear and transparently so and publicly so that he will ride those fences. And apparently the, the deputy attorney general has a good relationship with the president. He was there when they debated firing Comey. And Rod Rosenstein wanted to fire former director FBI Comey because Comey had broken the rules about what the FBI does, which is they... They provide data, they investigate, they do not determine who to prosecute. That's Department of Justice function. And so uh, Rod Rosenstein, longtime experienced apolitical prosecutor, said, that's not for the FBI to do. Therefore, I want you to fire him. That's not why Comey got fired. Donald Trump told us that himself. He fired, he was going to fire him anyway. But Rod Rosenstein knows what the rules are. If he were to articulate publicly that he will ride those rails, it might be possible to patch this up. That's my only way to see it done. But it can't be left, to use the phrase of the day, twisting in the wind. All the phrases come from the Watergate era, by the way. Have you noticed yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything yeah. is a reflection of Watergate. Everyone in the media today wants to live Watergate again. They can't because it's not that. Well, and also there's another reason they can't, and that is uh, Donald Trump is not very cooperative with that. <laughs> He's not like any, you know, but what he, the thing about him, the thing that infuriates, and the thing that inspires, one of the things that does both, is this fact that if he is criticized, he turns and looks directly at the person who does it, and he answers them right back. And that's, I, I, I used to argue back in the primary, I used to say, yeah, if you ever tried to pick out a puppy to be a hunting dog, which I happen to have done, then you, uh, then you go and you slap your hands somewhere near them, and some of the puppies run, and some of the puppies turn, and come at you. Those are the hunting dogs, that second bunch, right? Donald Trump is that kind of puppy. He's a dog that'll hunt. Have you ever hunted? Of course. I didn't know that. I grew up in Arkansas. Well, I don't know. They, they, do they issue guns at birth like in Maslin? You get a football when you're born? Yeah, yeah. no. What do you think I did? Live, grow up in a shopping mall? Do you... <laughs> 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 I don't know what they do in Arkansas. Tom Cotton, can he shoot? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's from the flat part, flatter part of the state. They shoot ducks down there. Uh, now, of course he can shoot. Now, last night, Donald Trump had 6,000 people in Youngstown, Ohio. I say the, the uh, San Andreas uh, fault in American politics starts south of Pittsburgh, runs up the Ohio-Pennsylvania border, turns left at the lake. 
goes along both all the Great Lakes through Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, all the way up to Minnesota, and that's the seismic shift that occurred. And he jammed the place. Selena Zito wrote this column today about the amazing euphoria that is around Trump when he goes to these places. What is that? Well, that's, you know, it's all those things that we don't like about him. We sophisticates who come to Washington, D.C. a lot, right? We he, he doesn't act right. But it's because of that that these people believe that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And we have we have so devalued the currency of that. We've had so many Republicans run for run for president, some of them elected on the Reagan platform and then not be like Reagan. And so now this guy, he violates the canons and uh, they and p- people believe in him. In he will do what he says he does, um, even if it is not aesthetically uh pleasing to the elite media. I'll come back with Dr. Larry R. in one more segment of the Hugh Hewitt Show. All of the Salem hosts are here today as we were at the White House yesterday. All of that White House podcast available at HughHewitt.com if you want all 15 hours, including my conversation with Scaramucci, Energy Secretary Perry, and everybody else. You can get that for $7.95 over at HughHewitt.com. Please do. It's a great thing. Also, if you want someone who's going to do what they say, Sierra Pacific Mortgage, 888 as I've relocated to the Beltway, they are getting a home for me. They have arranged all the financing. They found my realtor. They did everything I could possibly want to do. They work with my realtor, I meant to say, to get it all done, even though the Fetching Mrs. Hewitt is not here. All you need to do is call up Andrew and Todd Avakian, Andrew Del Rey, Todd Avakian, 888 and they will handle it, especially if you're a senior citizen and you have been watching the reverse mortgage ads and you're saying, I could use extra cash. I could want to get the money out of my house, but I want to stay in the house for the rest of my life and never make another mortgage payment. Never make another mortgage payment. The reverse mortgage is available through Sierra Pacific. Andrew and Todd, not some nameless, faceless person, people that I know. I've been to their offices. I talk about them twice every day. Call them up. You can trust them wherever you are in the country. Triple eight, triple eight, eleven seventy two. Don't go anywhere, America. I'll be right back from the Hillsdale College Boyle Radio Studio in the Kirby Center in the shadow of the Capitol. It is the Hugh Hewitt Show. Hey there, I'm Scott Bertram, and I'm the director of the Hillsdale College Podcast Network. This show and all the other shows on the network are listener supported. That means we hope for, we count on, frankly, we rely on. The support of listeners like you to make our educational outreach possible. One of the best and most convenient ways to do so is joining the Liberty and Learning Society. That's our exclusive monthly giving group. And in this month of March, we are looking for 300 new members of the Liberty and Learning Society. When you join, you'll help defend liberty through education and you'll make shows like this one possible far into the future. All you have to do is visit hillsdale.edu slash monthly and complete the secure online donation form. If you need to pause or stop your gift at some point, no problem. Just call us. One of our friendly students or staff will help you. But today, will you be one of the 300 new members of the Liberty and Learning Society in March? Go to hillsdale.edu slash monthly to join the Liberty and Learning Society today. Help us bring these shows to you and other Americans at hillsdale.edu slash monthly.
Welcome back, America. To you Hewitt from the Kirby Center, the Boyle Radio Studio in Hillsdale College. It's a wonderful lantern of freedom inside of the Beltway. Dr. Lariano is at the Aussie Fest. Uh, Dr. Lariano is president of Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale available at hillsdale.edu. All of our conversations dating back four years at Hillsdale. Uh, Hugh for Hillsdale.com. Aussie Fest is a, a high-tech, uh, Aussie.com is a new news service. And so they have a festival of ideas in New York City. I went to it. Two things happened. I mentioned Kamala Harris in passing. Spontaneous, huge, large outpouring of enthusiasm, standing ovation, cheering, etc. I, I was unaware that, that she had traveled, the phenomenon that she has had traveled beyond California. I think she's going to be their nominee, number one. Number two, tech people think they know everything. <laughs> and this is a dangerous thing in the country. They believe that because they do have a set of skills, Google, Amazon, that they have succeeded in Silicon Valley, they think they know governing. What's the fallacy there? Uh, well, it's very basic, right? So first of all, technology comes from the combination of two words. One is the word for reason, and the other is the word for art, techne. Now, art, uh, we get artificial from the word art. Art is everything of human making, making. So the point about technology is it always has a product outside itself, and it's always its purpose is to produce that product, so the product is higher than the activity of producing it. So to know technology is not, is not to know ends, it's to know means. It's actually a confined kind of understanding. That's in the first paragraph of Aristotle's Ethics. He says... Uh, every art, every choice, every three, th four things aims at some good. Beautifully said, the good is that which all things aim. Then he says, the goods are arranged, he said. So there's br a bridal maker, and he makes bridles. The bridal making is for the bridle. But the, br but the bridle is for horsemanship. And horsemanship is for cavalry. And cavalry is for victory. And only when you get to victory do you get to an ultimate end. So people who come forth having made billions in technology are actually only experts at the wielding and use of power. And if they think that is the end, then they don't understand it, but they have principles that are not so far from either Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin. Because power is to itself not particularly a good thing. It can be a good thing. Yeah. It can be employed the correct way. But it does usually require humility to do that right. And I'm reminded of your, when Winston Churchill lost the 1945 election, he was out of number 10 that day. Uh, yeah, and he never blamed the people, right? He, he, so it, it, the, the charm, first of all, we, if you think that human life is going to remain human and, and, and get over the fact that we have to contemplate our deaths, and therefore the purpose of our lives. And understand, we're the only creatures we know of in that situation, right? We have bodies, just like dogs, and the bodies perish. But unlike the dogs, we know it. And we're choosing all the time. Uh, Churchill writes in 50 years hence that you can imagine, this is very apposite, right? You can imagine generations to come that will know pleasures wider than we've ever known, can live as long as they want and can go anywhere in the universe they want. Interplanetary, he says. But what would be the good of all that to them, he said, because he said those questions would still remain. What are we for? Why are we here? 
and we take our comfort from those questions to answer them and seek to answer them is what it is to be human. So everything's being turned into an engineering project today. If you put these tech engineers in charge of the society, Lord knows what they'll do unless outside their knowledge of technology, they get knowledge of the ends of things. And they will have to humble themselves to get that knowledge because it is humbling to read your Plato or your Aristotle. And to do it over and over and over again. I'm not sure anyone from uh, Tech Central has done that. I don't know that it wouldn't be useful to run a Hillsdale uh, Dialogue Center in Silicon Valley for those. Mark Zuckerberg, who seems like a very nice fellow, has been out running into people. He's running for president as well as Kamala Harris. How do you think that's going to go? They've been somewhat mocked in the media, his encounters with real people in Iowa. Uh, how do you think that's going to go? A billionaire who wants to be president. We have one. <laughs> well, uh, I would have said a year ago that uh, what I said about Donald Trump when I first encountered him, and that is nobody like him ever got elected president of the United States. But Donald Trump said things to them that spoke to them in their hearts, right, and and seemed true to them, right? Can Zuckerberg do that? Well, I only know he hasn't done it yet. By the way, I don't know him, but I understand that Peter Thiel, who yes. is originally a partner of Elon Musk, is a wonderful guy and knows a lot of these arguments. Maybe he ought to be the guy. Maybe. Uh, well, he's not going to run against Trump. He likes Trump. We will yeah. see. <laughs> Dr. Ron, thank you for welcoming us into your abode here at the Kirby Center in uh, the Boyle Radio Studio. I will talk to you on Friday in the regular Hillsdale Dialogue. We're tackling Article 1 of the Constitution. We begin our march through the Constitution. It could not be more timely. Thanks as well, Scott, for engineering this, and to Mike Gallagher, who comes next. Stay tuned, America, all day long. Salem Radio from the Hillsdale College Kirby Center, and I'll be back tomorrow from Colorado Springs. Talk to you then.